Well, first question, you mentioned, uh, that's you, Curtis, I didn't mention this, uh, you mentioned an event to come where Satan is banished to earth from heaven. I thought this had already occurred. Does that mean Satan is still in heaven now? Very good. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a common belief that the casting down has already occurred, yet scripture tells us that the accuser of the brethren is going before the Lord day and night right now. So if you've been cast out and thrust, and thrust to the earth, um, you would hardly see some of the things that we see recorded in scripture. Like even Michael fighting for the body of Moses was recorded in Jude, we actually see him approaching the throne regarding Job, and we actually see a time recorded in the book of Revelation where this event is um, literally. So let's not get the casting down confused with being fallen. He is in a fallen, okay, he's fallen from that position of authority. But there's nowhere in Scripture until the war with Michael breaks out that actually he is denied access to heaven. And in fact, he couldn't be the accuser before the throne, Dana, unless he did. Okay, so we need to just take the whole council of Scripture together on that one. Um, but it is a common misconception, and it's just the difference between understanding the casting down in the war and the difference between he had fallen from a position of the covering cherub and basically second... Uh, um, you know, or the, the head of the congregation actually in the heavenlies under the servant realm. In fact, the covering cherub is actually what, uh, what the Lord, um, said regarding him. So, and that's spoken about, um, in Ezekiel. So, yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, but no, this, this event is, um, is, uh, by all accounts, um, apparently we're going to know because when he's cast down, he has great wrath and he knows his time is short. You can have a look at Revelation um, 12, um, verses 10, or verse 10 is where it says that um, he comes before the throne day and night accusing the brethren. Um, but also have a look at verse 11. Um, because there's a great testimony there where it says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Does that help? Is that person here? Remember, the idea is just to give the best type of um, response, as best we can anyway. Um, I hope that... Ha- just hold, hold for the... Because you know, in, in the Garden of Eden, he's like there as a serpent, and I thought that was because he'd been banished to already. So yep. can he like come and go, and he rules kind of here, but can also go to heaven? Yeah. Um, we, in fact, the incident in the in the Garden of Eden is that actually there was a guarding that was put in play by God to protect actually the tree of life. But that had nothing to do with him being banished to only our earthly dimension. Adam and Eve experienced going from immortality to mortality. But nowhere in scripture does it say that that was the case for Lucifer. Yeah. That's a good question though. Does that help? Okay. Question two. Why is it that we should be observing the full feasts from the Hebrew law, but not the rest of the Hebrew law? Isn't this picking and choosing what we want to obey uh, or what we think is relevant? I think that's an excellent question. 
Okay, that is a good question. Um, let's not get the appointed times confused with his law. Okay? They are not synonymous. And in fact, we think of the Ten Commandments, don't we? But he actually allows us not even to honor those. So we have an appointed times, we have the commandments, and then we have the Levitical laws and ordinances or the law of Moses. So now we've got another thing here. So we've got three very different things. Now, he has instructed us to honor and to celebrate them. But we all have been given the right what not to. Because the moment you didn't do it, you'd be zapped if it wasn't for, right? Um, and now we are under a, a, a grace, a blood that is covering our lives that even allows us to breathe versus a holy God. But the issue of these things were not here to bring death and bondage to us. They were here, certainly the laws and the ordinances of Moses, exposed. In fact, they were to bear witness, a testimony against us. And we're actually put in the side of the covenant. What was put in the covenant was what we would call the Ten Commandments or the covenant. That's why they call it the Ark of the Covenant. The actual appointed times was taught and asked to be celebrated and to be known because it was reflecting something that was actually pointing to his whole plan of salvation. So we're not picking and choosing between any of the laws, be it Moses, you know, be it the covenant, or be it the appointed times. In fact, we're not to actually confuse any one of the three. They're not one and all the same. They're actually very different components in Scripture. So um, we can choose not to honor them, and that's fine. But he's asking us to, and there's, and I believe there's very good reasons for why he's actually laid them out. And in fact, every single one of them point to your his plan of salvation. Which all points to who? Yeah. So, why we wouldn't want to honor something that points to the one that we love, the one who bought us, the one that, you know, um, that we are betrothed to, um, that's between us and him. I think he's bigger than um, making it a legal thing. I think he's looking for a heart matter. And I think that's actually going right through in every one of the three. But... Certainly when it comes to this, um, do you want to enjoy an anniversary with your spouse once a year because if she doesn't come, you're going to beat her up or he's going to, she, you're going to beat him up? Is, would that be how you would want this appointed time of remembering your wedding anniversary to occur? Can I put another lens on it? Yeah. Um, I think whether you choose to... Um, observe them or not, um, uh, all, all of the, um, Christ fulfilled the law uh, and, and in the, in the um, oh, it's gone right in my head, well the feast before the four feasts? A spring feast. Eh? Spring feast, spring Passover. Feast. So in the yep. spring feast we've actually, we actually see how Christ fulfilled all of, the, all of those in terms of the way that it foretold and the way that a pattern has for his life. So for me... An understanding of of the fall feasts and how they interplay, and and what the purpose of them is about is really important because actually, you know, we we talk about how um, this this um, this event at the end of the age, this person who's going to manifest themselves and and come into our presence is going to be so um, intriguing and so believable that. Um, that for a moment we're going to almost want it to be so. It's, it talks about even deceiving the elect. So how do you 
How do you prepare yourself for that? Now, I don't think you prepare yourself by a whole lot of head knowledge, but I think you prepare yourself by understanding, by having a context in which to judge it, by actually knowing that, you know, we... We think that you know the Pharisees were a bunch of you know dummies because they missed the Saviour, but they knew a lot of stuff. You know they were kind of looking for this as well. Um, and I'll tell you what, their knowledge of of the spring feasts was far more um, than your knowledge of the fall feasts. My knowledge of the fall feasts. So I think I think my my read on this is like whether we choose to celebrate them or not is kind of. Yep, that's a thing for you, for you to pray about and think about. But, but kind of, you know, why wouldn't you? But, but actually understanding them and having a revelation of them, it can only enhance um, who he is to you. It can only enhance your, not your mental understanding, but your witness and your spirit um, about who he is and, and when he comes back. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's well said. And what, what I would add to that, just thinking about the question, why is it that we should be observing the four feasts, is not to not to see it as a should be, or, or to see any of the law as a should, but more of a, of a would, as an invitation. Would would you do this? Would you meet with me annually and celebrate this with me in anticipation of what's to come? Would you honour me? With your life in these ways, so the so the law for us, like I don't believe I am under the law of Moses, but I see in the law of Moses an invitation to honour God in so many different ways. So I respond to an invitation from my God, my holy God, uh, rather than feeling like He's got His thumb on me. You must do this, uh, which doesn't really have any grace on it. So I can love Him through honouring Him, and I find that those options, there's opportunities to honour him in the law but it's a would you rather than a you should or else so yeah that's that's more the way I kind of see it and, and I see the same with the feasts here an invitation would you come and meet with me yeah did, did who here enjoyed the Passover get together this year do you, you want to know that the way we did that there would be some legalists in certain parts. Oh, when they laugh. Yeah. Well, we heard about it. And they, they would have judged us on the Passover side or Messianic side. Okay? Now, did anybody enjoy coming together and having Passover together? Did you enjoy that? And did you sense that what we were doing as a family was actually something that he invited us to do and know and make him the focus of? Right? So the reason why we did it wasn't because Clay and Mike and Chris and Greg and everybody said, look, if you don't come, you guys are not, you know, X, Y, B, and C. It was an open invitation. That's all that was. But you know, a lot of people came together that night and enjoyed something that he mentioned. I can't help but think if the reason was because we desired to, instead of us having to, then maybe the heart in this might have been more pleasing than the legalists would have given us on the night. And they would have judged certain things. You know why? Because we missed some things according to them. Other side of the fence? Yeah. Yeah. So let's... let's
let's just find out who he is. Let's look through the eyes of our heart. Why would he lay these things down? Why would he mention it? But if, if we're headed for a shotgun wedding, I don't think that that's what he's looking for. And fair enough, do we really want to be standing at an altar with the, with the gun pointed at our head? And do you think he wants that? And would any, any of you marry in such a way? Do you want them to be there because they love you and they've learned to know who you are and what you are? And that's, that's what we're trying to do here. You know, we talked about something as strange as aliens today. Well, it kind of, it may not seem so strange in a while, but look where we're willing to go to just look at this and see through the eyes of our heart, no matter where and when or if any of these things may be. We're not scared to do it. Because we want to know who he is and we want to do it as a family. And that's that I can't help but think maybe there's a God that might look at that and go, you know what? <laughs> you guys are trying to work it out. Maybe it looks a bit funny. Maybe it sounds a bit funny, whatever it is. But you know what? That's my children. I love them. And they're seeking and they're searching me. You know, seek and you shall find, ask and you shall receive. And what I love seeing happen here is that we're not scared of any part of his word, not any bit of it, and we're willing to look at this together. And I think that that's a credit and an honor to this fellowship, not a disgrace. Um, uh... Okay, uh, could you please expand a bit on Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, especially the part about the iron and clay mixing, the ten toes, two legs, and the relevance of all that? Picked up parts of this, but missed the connection and bigger picture. No, I'm going to leave that to Chris. <laughs> no, <there. laughs> Boy, that's a good one. Okay, real quick on that. There's two legs. Um, and this last world or global government is generally trying to be put into certain camps. You know, New World Order, this all this kind of thing. And, it, and it's kind of all over the place. But really, Daniel's dream said there's going to be these legs, and they are going to finish with ten toes, and there's going to be a mixing of iron and clay. Something's going to be mixed into this that's not quite right, that wasn't a part of the original iron legs. So something's come into it in, in the last round. Another thing that's interesting, it says that the stone in the dream at the time of this kingdom, is going to come and smash the feet of this statue. And the whole lot is going to come crumbling down. Now, the reason why I said there's an interesting thing, because the, the Bible is pointing out this mixing in the toes, what will be, some believe, ten kingdoms, ten kings. However this is playing out is the result of these two legs. Now, often, we're trying to make one leg just Rome, or another, it's just... Um, uh, how it's played out in the eastern leg with Islam controlling now and coming to the forefront, especially in the last sort of, um, you know, 40, 50 years. But however we want to look at that, I don't see a statue at any time with a leg or a foot or anything missing. And in fact, I s I'm told that the, there's a God of this world that actually is influencing everything we're seeing on the planet. And what we've got is we're buying into this game that's being played. Well, it's the Jews that are the problem. Oh, no, it's Islam that's the problem. Oh, it's the Catholic Institute that's the problem. And we're playing this game. And we're falling for this. But I'd suggest to you, I don't know anybody who's guiltless in any government, in any religion, or any player on the face of the earth right now. 
But there is something that it's saying is mixing with the seed of men. And we do know there's an allusion too, just as in the days of Noah. And we do know that the fallen angels were up to some monkey business before the world was flooded. And apparently they're going to be up to some monkey business again at the end. The conjecture this morning was, is it possible that the alien sort of disguise is going to fall into some of the monkey business that's what's going on? It may or may not. I just don't know of anything that fits quite the bill that I'm reading about if I'm honest with Scripture. And don't change it. Um, so that's why that's there. So um, in the question, the two legs and the relevance of all that, hopefully there's a little bit of relevance. The iron mixing with the clay, I believe the Bible is indicating something's mingling with the seed of men. So what is this? I don't profess to understand it in its entirety. But I do know that the God of this world is going to a lot of effort for pe- to convince people that aliens are real. And we're not talking about aliens. At least I'm not. And I'm not believing in aliens. I'm believing that there is something God has warned in the heavenly. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spirit in what? High places? That there's something that would try and fool me. Okay, and and all I've got is a groom going, don't fall for it. That's all. I don't want you to worry about it. Don't worry. You're okay. I got you. <laughs> I need you to move on. I don't need you freaking out because of any of this. But just don't fall for it, okay? And I'm going to write this love letter to you. That's all. So I'm not sure if that helps in connecting the bigger picture. Um, but really, his dream was all about interpreting something that Nebuchadnezzar had. He was the king of Babylon, and he'd had this freaky dream, and he didn't know how to interpret it. Daniel had gone to him and said, you are seeing the ruling kingdoms that will govern the world right to the end, to the coming of Messiah. And he got it right. And Daniel was, you know, was a very valued component inside a Babylonian kingdom, yet he was a Hebrew prophet. So they valued um, this sort of thing, even though they were in vastly different camps. Um, and Daniel was very esteemed uh, in even the politics that were going on in Babylon at the time. So does that help? For, for me, um, it, and it links with a question later on. It, I, I mean, I think what Curtis is offering here around um, the alien sort of connection might be a, a step too far for many. Okay, I, I don't think it's that's important whether it's the aliens or not. Okay, so don't walk out from here thinking it's about aliens. What what it's really for me what it's really about saying is that is that there's things that are going to happen um, that are going to cause a chain of events to start to occur. And our hope and our trust, as we sung in that song um, in Cornerstone, our, our hope and our trust um, is actually um, in, in Jesus. And I, I think that I mentioned earlier that whatever this is, this thing is, is so compelling that it, it, it's, it could mislead even the elect. And so therefore there's an onus on us to, to really be sure about, about, about what we know, who we know, that our eyes are really in, intently focused on, on Jesus, that 
we understand his character and his nature. So that when this this Antichrist appears, and it says that he comes with signs and wonders as well, that actually we're not going to be convinced by that. Because actually this is it's going to be quite compelling, whatever it is, because it's it, the intent is to mislead. It's not going to be something that is going to be easily passed away. And there's going to be a large pool of people who are going to be attracted and drawn to it and be telling people that this is it. This is the one. You know, this and and so actually the if you like, the weight of evidence is going to be towards this being the Christ. Uh, towards this being the the Christ returning, but it's not. And and so I think we we need to be able to line up and say, what do we know? What do we know about what is going to play out? What do we know about who this person is? Is this actually the love relationship that we know? Is this actually how we see this marriage outplaying itself? And to me, that's what's important, not whether it's well, not what it is. I, you know, I think Curtis said in one of the earlier messages that, and and it's something I've heard repeated as well. It's like when people are training people about how to know counterfeit, they give them what the real thing. Okay. So the more, the more, the more we focus on the real thing, the more aware. If when it comes, the more we're aware of the counterfeit. But you don't spend time examining all the possible permutations and combinations and what the what the counterfeit can be like. You just look at the real thing. Yeah, yeah and I'd like to add to that too because, you know, over the last, uh, I suppose, 20, 30 years or whatever, the church has built itself up on the feel-good factor. Now, what feels good and what looks good, you know, if, if you don't really know the word, if, you, if you're not really knowing him, and you get suddenly somebody performing a lot of signs and wonders and miracles and it looks really good, guess what you're going to follow? It's so deceptive, but you see, uh, we've based everything on how we feel. And if it's good for me and if it's good for others, but, you know, it's so easy to be deceived if we don't really know him. And that's the whole heart of more than anything is God's actually crying out, I want to know you. I want you to know me. God knows us already, but he wants us to know him. And the thing is too that uh, um, it says that uh, my sheep will what? Know my voice, not my image. Know my voice. And you only get to know his voice by being intimate with him. And that's what God is really calling us to. But if we can settle for something a bit easier that we don't have to go searching after him or anything like that and you know, something that's on the easy road then we can be easily deceived because we don't know any better. So knowing him is such such an important thing. Why do you think God's been stripping away so many things recently in the last three or four years? Shaking every foundation, shaking everything that's falling apart, suddenly revealing to us all these things. Why? He's stripping everything away so that he alone is left. Otherwise, we're still holding on to a whole lot of other things instead of him. So he's revealing himself in so many other ways. And even though it seems hard, even though it seems, gosh, I wish we could go back to the old days, really? God's actually revealing himself to us by stripping all those other things we're so used to that we've called Christianity. 
that we've become so used to and hold on to, he's asking us to let go so that we can really get to know him and him alone. So that's the most amazing thing, to be part of this journey together. Isn't it neat his, um, his, his protection for us is knowing him? Isn't that neat? It's an outcome. We are protected and preserved because we've not studied the counterfeit in every single form they can possibly take place. And we've actually gotten to know the real thing. Isn't that beautiful? That actually knowing Him forms a protection, you know, over our lives. And so I think that's a pretty good model, isn't it? And so that, you know, that's, that's the pursuit that's actually going on here. And, um, yeah. And by the way, just if anybody's still confused on the alien thing, I don't saying that I believe in aliens. Don't even think that aliens are showing up. This whole thing is about a disguise and a deception. I'm saying just because we don't or I don't doesn't mean Others might not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's the whole point. Uh, like our dear lady, um, testimony, uh, today, where her husband all of a sudden was believing in UFOs or aliens. Um, okay, where are we up to? How do all the bad players work together in the uh, abomination of desolation? That being the uh, anti-Messiah, mystery Babylon, the beasts, false prophet. How do these guys, how do they work? Well... They work well. Did I answer your question? They do. All right. um, and, and what is Satan, Lucifer's role in all of this, since he will be cast down to the earth with his angels? An important one. Yep. That was interesting how that was clarified in the brackets because they seem to really understand that. Um, look, I'm, I'm not sure if we maybe answered it a little bit earlier, but it was the whole working of laying the groundwork Right, It's just laying the groundwork to get us off in directions where we're not seeking Him. So we could be seeking religion, we could be seeking experience, feelings, we can be um, uh, adopting things that can set us up for deceptions later on, whatever the case may be. But the whole thing's always about laying a groundwork that gets us intimate with something that isn't Him or His truth. Does that make sense? So it's always working. He's, he is the adversary. It's his job. <laughs> and he might like his job. He's, he's fallen. And, and, but the reality of it is he's just working it out. So um, let's, let's just know that the, the, the adversary is, um, is not something that has a greater authority than um, the one who bought us. But we do need to know that the adversary isn't playing as real. And if we don't become intimate and walk with the one who knows us, then it can leave us sometimes exposed on a flank, right? And this is why Paul at the end when he says, you know, when he talks about the, 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 the great mystery and the marriage covenant and how he's speaking about Christ and the church, do you know what the very next chapter is? The very next chapter, chapter 6. So immediately after getting this, what does he get into? The armor of God. Put on the armor. If you get this, put on the armor of God. And so it's not a coincidence that it's directly following the great mystery because you, we're in the real deal. This is this is actually it. If we get this, we're in the marriage covenant, we understand it, and we're going to actually pursue him together, and we're going to get to know him, and we're going to try and do it his way, his truth, his life. Right? And But Paul's got some very good words for us. We, we want the armor of God now, you know, and so, um, and I don't think we're going to get that by being too consumed by 
conspiracy theories and understanding what the New World Order is up to every day. Do you think that we need to um, that we need to be identifying these characters? Do you think that that's what one of the outworkings of the series is that we've got to see all oh, that's the Antichrist? Uh, that's the great. That'll be the great prophet. That one there. Is that what? I personally don't. Um, but but that's me. I can only answer this personally. So for me, um, I actually think Wild Goose Chase on who the Antichrist is has been a, a terrible thing that I've seen happen with end times teaching. Okay. Um, I think it's led away from us spending times doing what he'd have us do. One of the reasons why, even when we spoke to the eldership and the pastor team, I said, look, I think if we look at this through the lens of an appointed time, we're actually going to look at a lens that's speaking all about who? Our, our Savior. Do you see, you know? So why wouldn't we look at the end times through the lens he's asked us to? So my answer to that is no, I don't think we need to be identifying it. I think we need to understand that they exist, that they're real. But you know what? When the abomination of desolation happens, I have a scripture that tells me that if I know him, I'm going to know it actually happened. I will know. Because I will not be fooled. But I'm I'm not going to sit there and have to convince everybody of my... Um, morbid fascination with whatever the latest doctrine of conspiracy theory around this is. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I think people can be led to understand things. I know I have, but not for the purpose of going around telling everybody, I know who the Antichrist is, you know, I don't know, and that kind of a thing, or get people wrapped up in that. It's more about, um, and it always is, in my view, in knowing him. Now, as a part of that journey, if he reveals to you certain things, um, like I mentioned Mystery Babylon this morning, um, you know, the understanding of why he even shared the visions and the dream of Daniel, why he even talks about the beast, the false prophet, all these sorts of things, that's great. But I have never, ever felt in my spirit at any time that the focus was to be any one of those players. It is purely an outcome of something he may bring into revelation as a part of knowing him. Does that make sense? So we can end up understanding these things, but not because we've been chasing, I need to understand all the bad guys and have some firm view. So that that would be my... If we abstain from the Western traditions of Christmas, etc., how do we love our family members who don't share our understanding or convictions? What impact has this had on your relationships with your extended family? Wow. I forgot about this question. I read it earlier, and I actually thought that was a really heartfelt question. Look, I'm going to say this. I'm going to give you personal testimony real quickly on this. My brother, who was not a believer as such, he'd only really been exposed to, well, he'd, he'd Grown up going when he was younger to a, um, to a Catholic school actually. But for all intents and purposes, he really walked away from really wanting to know anything about God. Um, he knew I was a believer. He just respected that. We just did our thing. We get along. We're quite close. He's my half brother. Um, really neat guy. His name's Alex. Um, absolutely love him. I'm as close to him as I would be my full sibling. Um, and we kind of go about a thing. I also have uh, a sister, a half-sister, and a full brother. Here's what was interesting. As I started to get convicted with this, okay, I actually experienced this with my own family and being over in Canada. And I, I was no longer comfortable participating in it. Now, listen to me when I say this. This was my conviction. 
Nobody was sitting there telling me you had to do this, not do this, whatever. And I certainly wasn't in the business of going around pulling down people's Christmas trees. You know, or whatever else it was. Okay, I think we can allow people to do their journey and ask themselves. But I know for me, I was being led out of the celebration of Christmas. So the heartfeltness of this question, I actually understand. I get it. Because you want to know something? One of some of my most cherished memories are absolutely Christmas. With my family, sitting under the tree by the fire, eating things called turtles, which I love. It's a confectionery thing. And I'd peel mandarin oranges because we get them in Canada that time of the year. And mandarin oranges were really great to have in the winter and all that kind of thing. Anyway, I'd go through this whole little ritual every year by the fire. And the whole thing was just beautiful. And, and to be quite honest with you, I didn't have some ugly vision or picture of this whole thing. But that wasn't what I was being convicted of. I was being convicted of it from a covenant perspective. And, and when it started to become real, I just simply was led to start celebrating the appointed times. Now, here's what was interesting. It wasn't like God was saying, don't do this. It was like, Curtis, why aren't you doing this? That's what was interesting. Well, I had to explain this, of course, to my own family. Now, this is what's really interesting. Alex almost didn't really inquire, want to know about my own faith until I said, actually, I'm, I celebrate these now, Alex. And he was stunned and he was like, what do you mean? We're having Christmas. Can you imagine my brother, my little brother, neat guy, but he truly was trying to go, what are you talking about, man? Like really in his mind. And, I, and then I, and I said to him, well, look, I said, I've been led to celebrate these. It, they, they, they're in line with my faith and who I love and who I believe. And he said, well, what do you mean? I thought Christmas was like, he couldn't get it. This is the birth of Christ. He started all of a sudden asking all these questions. Well, you want to know, this started a series of conversations. My brother has given his life to the Lord. And my example was not tears of joy, by the way. It's a fantastic time for me and him. We, we now fellowship constantly about this. But do you know, one of the things that played a role in that was his conviction of he was basically asking me to tell him about my salvation. I was getting free permission instead of forcing something on him. And, and what he started to say, and he'd say, well, what do you mean? And he'd say, well, you, Christmas is what? And I'd talk about Babylon. He'd say, well, what? You know, and I explained. He got most fascinated in it. But what I never did to him was told him to stop doing it. I didn't tell him that. I didn't make him feel like that. And he actually talks like that now. He said, you never were telling me what I could and couldn't do. You just gave an explanation for the hope that was in you and the account of where God had led me in my faith. For me, I'm eternally grateful, and I've been through this now with my whole family. They all understand, and I know other people that are working through it. And I'll tell you something, it's interesting. When you take a stand in love and you explain to family, I love you, and I want to spend time with you and be with you, regardless of doing the Christmas tree thing, you know, or the presents or whatever it is that you're doing, but I actually want to be with you and to spend time with you, you actually can start to find there's other avenues that actually open up. But it is something that you have to live and be honest about. And that's what I endured. That's what I've lived. My family has absolutely embraced. At first, though, I have to say, they did say, have you become Jewish? <laughs> and be, and I, had to, I got a chance to explain to them. These aren't even Jewish 
case. These are actually, every time they asked a question, I got to explain my faith. Because they were so fascinated on what the heck was going on. They were never interested in my faith until actually I didn't want to celebrate Christmas. Isn't that interesting? So how did that work? So point, point being is be encouraged. Just my advice would be this. Be honest and open and truthful. And do not tell other people what they have to do, what they can't do, what they shouldn't do, what they shouldn't eat, all that kind of thing. Just be honest with your testimony. Isn't it about responding to what the Holy Spirit is talking to you about and leading? Yeah. I mean, I, I here, have this. There's some more questions on there too. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I can remember when, when Ingrid and I first became Christians and people told us we needed to stop drinking and tip all our booze out and stop smoking. The stopping smoking one was easy because we didn't smoke. Um, but, but they you know, made a big deal of it anyway. But in one respect, you know, we all like rules, don't we? You know, we all like rules. You know, this is the way we behave. This is what we do. And, um, you know, sometimes there's a really great motivation in people wanting to share that. But my, my encouragement to you would be um, seek God and respond. You know, if, if, he, if he's leading you into it, respond. Um, how do I respond? Show me, Lord. Give me wisdom. Um you know, don't follow someone else's blueprint. You know, don't think, well, I will, you know, work for Curtis, so the way I get my brother saved, or my half-brother, is, you know, is to stop going, doing Christmas and start doing, doing all this other stuff. No, it doesn't work that way. So, you know, just um, trust God uh, and, and respond uh, to his leading in your life about, about everything. Yeah. So what it says in, in Romans 14, it's talking about... Um where they should eat meat offered to idols, and you know, there's two groups that had very um, or had polar positions on it, and and Paul's instruction was you've got to follow your conscience as the Holy Spirit activates it. And so for some it's sinful to eat meat offered to idols, to others it's not. But you've got to you've got to live according to how the Spirit prompts your conscience. But in doing so, also not do anything that might lead your brother to stumble. I am um, I I I'm used to be so legalistic about this issue. Did when you? <laughs> If you worked, if you'd be on staff with me in particular, you'd know what a crusader I was for pulling the, the pagan out of Christmas. But um, my, my perspective has actually changed, not on what's pagan and what's not, but how I personally respond and how I engage with others. And uh, one of the things that um, that's changed my perspective is firstly that scripture in Romans 14, also uh, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 15 about it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean, it's, it's actually what comes out. Um, so uh, the idea that I, if I do this or do that, something that's going to make me a pagan, um, he challenged me on that. But, but you, you said something interesting before about you know how um, or your family asking if you're, if you're becoming more Jewish because you weren't celebrating Christmas right. What's interesting when I when I was reading uh, Acts chapter ten, um, the the vision that um, the apostle Peter receives, uh, you might recall uh, it's a, it's a vision that seems to almost make him less Jewish, and uh, all these things that he had known from a child he must not eat. Uh, because they were unclean and, and the kosher laws, uh, in the vision the Lord says, no, these things, don't, don't call unclean what I have called clean. You can, you can, you can partake of these things now. You can eat pork. You can eat bacon, Peter. It's great, isn't it? It's the gospel there. <laughs> but, you just gotta think, why, why was, why was he given, um, that vision? Why were the kosher laws lifted, uh, at the birth of the church? What happens next, you'll know, is that, he then goes and is able to enter the house of a Gentile, the house of 
Cornelius. And because uh, those laws were lifted, he could have fellowship and he could share the gospel. And so the whole household uh, gets saved because of that. Now, uh, I don't know, it's the law, it seems, was getting in the way of people coming to know the Lord. So uh, I don't want to put anything in the way of me being able to have fellowship and share the hope and life that I have. So certainly in Curtis's example, it was actually kind of the, the other spin that was his abstaining, which gave him the opportunity to share. But it can also conversely be the opposite. It can be the fact that you engage with people uh, and receive their hospitality, uh, that you can actually bring Christ's love into their home as well. Yeah, one um, I remember oh, it was a couple of years ago we decided um, as a fellowship here not to do a Christmas celebration, but instead on Christmas Day to say, go and spend it with your family. Um, and I know that part of our um, witness was uh, different non-Christian members of our family reminding us that we should be a church because it was... Um, <laughs> it was Christmas Day. <laughs> and, uh, don't, don't Christians go to church on Christmas Day? So anyway, yeah, there we go. I, I think it's also very important that uh, we're not going to judge you on what you believe or whatever. It's got to be a revelation for you personally and you've got to work that through. But we're not going to stand here and, and condemn you that, oh, you, you're not allowed to do this or not allowed to do that. We're not doing that at all. And we want you to understand that that you've got to seek it out for yourself. And if you choose to do that, you know, not to celebrate Christmas, that's entirely what, you know, God's showing you to do. And he will show and lead you through that. But we don't want people feeling that guilt thing either. Oh, I'm not allowed to celebrate Christmas or I'm not allowed to do this or that. It's personally you and we will not judge you for it. Okay. Oh, Chris, Chris won't judge you for it. Like, I'm not sure about anyone else. <laughs> the, the, um, the the funny thing is is that um, it's some people ask me all the time. But you know what? I never really ask anybody. I'm not really interested in whether you do or you don't. What what I'd rather do again, like the whole counterfeit thing. I, you, you focus on what's for me. It's I'm trying to raise. Hey, he wants us to do these things. Now, whatever else you may or may not be doing. Look, I got I got enough things to deal with before the throne than everyone else's life in here. And vice versa. But the thing I would encourage is, he's asked us to do these. And so let's look at them. Let's do them. Now, whatever is sitting over here, that's your journey. Let's not judge each other along the way. Is that right? It's just because if we do, we're all going to end up sitting in the seat of Moses. And we're going to make all this stuff a legalistic thing, aren't we? And that is not, I believe, with 110,000%. What, what he's not trying to do is making sure we tick boxes of obedience for obedience sake. Mm. A true obedience that's born out of desire is a beautiful thing. Mm. Forced obedience mm. has not done anything with the heart. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, does that answer the Christmas question? Pretty good. Uh, if, oh, last one, uh, on this page, just in trying to understand with your mention of UFOs this morning, were you implying? <laughs> there had to be one, didn't there? Is that, that yours, Clay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all of ours. Um, <laughs> were you implying that the enemy is using the sighting of UFOs as a part of the deception that people will believe that there is no rapture and in fact people are being taken away by aliens? Wow. I'm not quite sure on the, thought process but it was probably because I wasn't clear enough this morning so just quickly on that um, 
the there is a teaching in the body, and it's widespread that um, when the body is raptured, that the explanation for that event given to an unbelieving world, because you're going to have to explain an event if supposedly millions of people went missing suddenly. <laughs> How are you going to explain that to everyone left? So the way that this is taught is that it was the UFOs or the aliens. That that's a, Actually, whether you know this or not, that's being taught It's as a widespread teaching in many facets of the evangelical church. Um, see, for somebody like me, I'm like, well, okay, that's being taught out there. Um, I actually think it's dangerous if you understand the appointed times view and a love-based view and a covenant-based view. So what I was trying to say is, is that one thing we know for sure that Scripture is saying, there's going to be a casting down. There is an event coming. And if a third of the angels and Lucifer are going to get cast down and thrust into our dimension, I would say that he needs to come up with an explanation as to what's just happened. And if he doesn't, you will lose everyone you're trying to deceive just like that. And I can't think of another reason why we're seeing such a popularity exploding around getting everybody to buy in to this alien thing. That's all. That's all I was suggesting. That from what I see happening, there seems to be this push to get people to believe in aliens. What a wonderful excuse that would be if all of a sudden these sons of light, these benai Elohim, these angels of light, were all of a sudden pushed into our dimension. Because you can't just show up and go, you know, the smoke's still rising off you from your battle with Michael going, um, I know this looks bad. <laughs> okay, you would probably be looking to set up an explanation. In fact, if you knew you were going to get thrust down and you were the adversary, you might even work on a plan that actually took advantage and made it a part of the deception. Because you knew the event was coming. And in fact, the very thing that does this pushing is God's instructions for Michael to deal with this battle. And you know what it says? God himself sends the strong delusion. Is it possible he's doing this through an order to Michael? They're, at, they're down. So, I'm just saying that what seems to be being taught, to me, possibly is the opposite of what Scripture might be indicating. And for me, from my point of view, I just think people should have the option to see another. If you're going to even look at the alien thing, I just, I'm just sharing with you as brothers and sisters in my family that, hey, I believe the Holy Spirit showed me that there was actually something else that is actually going on here. Um, and it's actually even the opposite of what's being taught. So... You you believe, you look at this, whether you want to believe any of that, whether that is the explanation, whether it isn't, however you want to view it, all I'm saying is that we should be willing to at least discuss and understand the options according to Scripture. That's all. And then you work through it. You have needs. You have the Holy Spirit. Right? We have each other. We walk in these environments. Why discipleship? It's so huge. Let's get together and walk together. And contend together. We don't have to all agree or see things at once. So I'm hoping that I'm not trying to say um, as a part of the deception that people will believe there is no rapture. No, not at all. I'm saying that if an event was coming, 
that all of a sudden angels were pushed into our dimension, there would have to be an explanation for it. That's what I'm saying. The rapture when it occurs <laughs> is going to be a gathering unto him. And there is not going to be any doubt on what these things are. None. Not as far as what I can see in Scripture. And we are being rescued and we are being, we are being taken up, gathered. The groom is gathering his, his bride and it, we are being spared from the wrath of God. And we are promised that in Scripture. So we can argue whatever we want about tribulation, great tribulation, da 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 da. One thing we can all agree on, the Scripture is clear. We will be spared from his wrath. We are not spared on, you know, given unto wrath. It says it over and over and over again. We can discuss the great tribulation thing, but there's one thing's clear we can all agree on. We're not here for his wrath if we know him. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I'm not sure if that helps, but yeah, I'm just saying that the two things getting confused. That was the boarding call. <laughs> Actually, that is uh, the end of the uh, the question time uh, buzzer. Uh, it is just turning eight o'clock in just a second. So we um, does that answer the, the, that question about the uh, about the? Aliens? It wasn't Clay's question; it was mine. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, I've discovered that it's not the Millennium Falcon that's coming down and descending. Much of there's no chewy. Um, no, it, it, it does answer, and I think what's what is helpful is actually Lisa Marie's. Um, testimony just sort of in and around that as well um, but I suppose the clarity is that with these sightings with these various bits and things that are going on um, are we saying are we saying they're fallen angels then instead of UFOs okay yeah um, I, I think that there is something that is getting us to try and believe in aliens and the way that this is being done um, I believe is because there are principalities and spirits in high places that are that are wanting us to believe in this. So, um, I think some of this might yeah. um, just to just to back up on that. Some this can sound really silly to us. It sounds silly to me, but I am completely churched. I loved the X Files, but it just seems like fiction to me. But that's me because I'm so churched. But then reading um, recent polls this week from the UK and the states in the UK. Uh, more people believe in the probability of extraterrestrial life than actually believe in God. So it's not silly over there. They're like, yeah, it's more likely than what we believe. Uh, in the States, uh, recent poll, um, Gov poll was 50% of Americans believe in the probability of extraterrestrial life. So yeah, I'm not saying that um, I fully agree with, with that, but a lot of people will. This seems like a likely scenario, even the likely scenario in the UK. So uh, in terms of deceiving the world, someone's doing a good job. Well, it's a likely scenario as we sit here in 2014. Okay. Um, there have been various you know, views put over years and whenever the end times is, there may well be other explanations for it. So for me, whether it is aliens or not doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You know, I mean, I, 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 I would really encourage, we, we, when we presented this as elders and we, when we asked Curtis to, to bring this session, 
uh, these sessions, we we wanted people to fall more in love with Jesus. Yeah, and and so um, and you know if you've Ingrid and I were talking about in the car on the way home. If you joined the Rock in the last 15 years or so, um, uh, you know we've Ingrid and I have been at the Rock for a little bit longer than 15 years. Um, I've never heard anyone teach on on um, end times or on appointed times. Uh, you know, Ingrid and I were were fortunate in that we got a good bath of it in the 80s before we came to the Rock. Um, but you know, if you haven't, if you if you if you're relatively new to it, it's it's not something that is popular to teach. But you know, it is a revelation of of who Jesus is. And and you know, it also talks about the fact that we shouldn't be ignorant of the enemy's schemes and devices. But equally, we 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 should actually contend for truth together. We should encourage one another. We should exhort one another as the day grows nearer. So. You know, what better thing to exhort one another over than the love of Jesus, the person of Jesus? And and so bringing this wasn't so much about you know um, people getting out their slide rules for those of you who are old enough to know what a slide rule is, or actually your, your tables or getting out you know see Jess she doesn't even know what a slide rule is. Google it, you know Uncle Google will tell you what a slide rule is. But it's not Andrew Barr knows what a, Andrew um, Stewart knows what a slide rule is. He probably yeah no. But um, you know it's not about getting that out and working out when and how and who and you know no. no we we presented this because we want uh, to encourage you to press in to him and to know more about him and the plans that he has for you and the fact that we aren't this unguided meteorite sort of flashing through, you know, the universe or a UFO. You know, God's got us in the palm of his hand, you know. And so, you know, I just would encourage you to, to, if this does nothing, I I would hate it if the outcome of this was that we had 150 people who were trying to work out how all is fitted together. I'd love it if we had 150 people who, who thought, man, this is amazing. This book is amazing because it speaks through time of who the Christ is. Let's go camping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, do you know, do you know, I'm, I'm going to just say it like it is. There, if, from where he really led me on this. Do you know whether I ever experience the end times or not? No matter what I think, how close, how far away it is. Do you want to know what? When I look through the appointed times, do you know what I get to do every year? I get to hang out with you guys and know about, and know about him. And I'm thinking, that's pretty good fruit. And if that just happens to also equip me for the end times along the way, get it? Yeah. And I think that's his way.